Now at this time Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped into her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with Holy Spirit and she cried out with a loud voice. She said, Blessed are you among women and womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my womb, for joy and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. Good morning, everybody. Um, the key word this morning. Hey, didn't she do a great job reading that? She had, uh, she's like a real, Kendall, how old are you? Eight. She's like really picky too. She had like three words she was really working on. She had a problem with womb and that was WOM earlier, uh, fulfillment. And, uh, the one interesting one I told her would actually preach. She kept saying it was the Holy Spirit and not the Holy Spirit. I said, well, we can probably do some fun stuff with that if we wanted to. Um, but the word joy in there, uh, I know that you all have, uh, know that there's a big difference between happiness and joy. Uh, well, I say that you know that, uh, but I trust that you know that. And, uh, to be honest with you, the word joy is not a real easy word to just come up with a definition about, uh, because, uh, yesterday I was at Notre Dame and IU and, it was a really joyful occasion for me. Uh, anytime that Notre Dame loses, that's joyful to me. So, <laughs> um, but uh, uh, I will say this. I think the, lo- the world is longing and looking for joy. Uh, but I, the sad news is this, is outside of the scriptures that Kendall just read, you're not going to find joy anywhere else. Uh, and uh, it's kind of a hard, I read a definition that I kind of like. Uh, so I don't know where this came from. I stole it from a guy. And uh, it does have the word feeling in it, so I am sorry, Keith. It says, joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the word and in the world. There's a little song some songs I sang when I was in uh, Sunday school weren't real scriptural, but some songs were. And there was a little song that said, do you all remember that song about joy? I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my where? Heart. Hey, down in my heart. And uh, I remember as little kids, I was the one in the back that said, where? We were yelling and screaming. Uh, didn't understand that back then whatsoever. Uh, but I'm learning, and it's down in the heart. And uh, this time of the year, circumstances will try to dictate the joy of Christ. But circumstances do not change the joy of Christ any whatsoever. So if you don't know joy, uh, I challenge you to just search it out in the Scriptures. Ask God, ask the Holy Spirit to teach you what joy is. I was taught and taught years ago that joy stood for Jesus, 
others, and you. That sounds good. But what I found out is is that uh, I spent so much time on the others that I really didn't even know who Jesus was. And folks just kept telling me the way that you get joy, just keep serving more, just keep serving more. Uh, And that sounds great, and I understand it. Uh, But in the midst of serving, I just got tired and worn out and angry at God and uh, had to finally find out who Jesus was. And then when you find out the joy of Jesus, you'll have no problem serving others because it'll just naturally happen. So we wish you the joy of Christ uh, this holiday season in the midst of all that's going on in your life and in struggles and things in the world. Uh, So may the joy of Christ uh, just overwhelm your life. Are we supposed to like this now? Oh, I'm supposed to pray. Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm not good at this. I know. Hey, Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for uh, the words of a little, my granddaughter, reading the Holy Scriptures. And uh, to me, that brings me joy in my life, uh, that uh, she has the ability to do that. And I know she doesn't understand those, and yet maybe she does more than I know. So, Lord, I just ask that at this time of the year and in the world, all the stuff that's going on, the junk that's going on, even in our own lives, that you would help us understand joy, true joy. That's not based upon circumstances, but is based upon the truth of you and Jesus Christ. Uh, And may we be folks that just like John the Baptist when he was a baby, that he leaped in the womb when he just simply heard the mother of Jesus. May we be folks that when we hear the word, that there's something inside us that just leaps for joy. So I pray that you would teach us and help us to understand what true joy is. And ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Said he forgot to ask if you guys had any prayer requests. I'm sure the Lord knows what they are, right? If not, you can tell him to tarry afterwards and he'll be responsible. <laughs> We're in Luke chapter 15. I know that's a few chapters after the Christmas story, but uh, we're going to continue with our journey, and surely we'll make this thing tie in. Uh, hey, thanks for the gift cards for Pinhead's uh, employees. They're going to enjoy this today. If you've got others, you can put those up there after the service. But I'm just thankful for these people that get here early on Sunday morning and let us in so that we can hang out and just read the Word together and study the Word together. So we're, we're talking about Jesus, and just to set the stage, since we have quite a few guests in here today, we have been working chronologically through the Gospels. We've taken Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we've combined them and put them in chronological order. So we've been jumping back and forth between those four books, and we're actually in Luke 15. So today, 
we get to three stories that most of you in this room are very familiar with. And that's because they are parables, three parables, three big parables, the, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the prodigal son, the prodigal son. How many sermons have you heard on the prodigal son? Well, uh, I again, I hate to burst your bubble today. Seems like we do that, and that's because uh, I, I personally grew up uh, in a religious system that loved Jesus, but that taught what Terry was saying here, that got to go work, got to go work, got to go work, do these things, evangelize these people. This is my duty. This is my responsibility as a believer in Jesus Christ. Rather than just understanding who Jesus was and just letting it naturally flow out. So uh, I may burst your bubble about your parables today. So if I'm teaching parables, who's the audience? (laughs) Somebody said the Pharisees. Why would you say the Pharisees if I say parables? Oh, I put you on the spot, those that just spoke up. What? Who said it? What would you say? It's a hidden message. Kevin, why is it a hidden message? Do you know? Right. Back when Jesus actually healed a person that was born blind, they accused him of healing that person under the power and the spirit of Beelzebub, which was the devil. And that is the term that Kevin used, blaspheme. They just blaspheme the spirit. And when they blaspheme the spirit, Jesus says, you realize what you just did? You just cut yourselves off. If this is what you believe, that I'm not the Messiah, I've done all these miracles for you, but if you believe I'm not the Messiah and you're saying that I'm doing this under the power of the evil one, the devil, then now you're not going to hear what I have to say to you. You'll no longer have the ears to hear, the eyes to see. Because I'm going to tell these stories in the form of a parable and they're not going to make sense to you. But wait, listen right here. In this room right here, you are capable of understanding these parables because, why? You have the Holy Spirit inside of you. (laughs) Hello? You have a holy, living God inside of you. Dilly dilly. Because that, yeah, yeah. That Holy Spirit allows you to understand these red letters that Jesus is saying. And that, my friends, is good news. So here we are in Luke chapter 15. It says, All the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were complaining. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. (laughs) Now, the Pharisees, obviously, they're gathered there and they see that Jesus is hanging out with these, say, uh, tax collectors and sinners. find it interesting that they separated the tax collectors from the sinners. But they're all the same according to the Pharisees. 
You see, the tax collectors were actually possibly even Jews, maybe even Roman citizens, and they would literally bid bid to take that position as a tax collector. The highest bidder gets to be the tax collector and take all the money from the Jewish nation. Well, if you want to be the highest bidder, you know what that means. You have to take more money. Therefore, they were pretty corrupt. They were taking money from the Jews, and the Jews didn't like them, and they considered them to be evil people. These were the tax collectors. And no one wanted to associate with the tax collectors. In fact, they made a law about it. They made a law about a lot of things. You know what this book is? This is the unholy Mishnah. <laughs> I say unholy because it's not of God. It's of man. Man wrote this book right here. This book contains thousands upon thousands upon thousands of laws that were written by the Pharisees. They memorized this thing. Literally, not only did they memorize Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and all the prophets, but they memorized this right here. Uh. But if you turn, I got to get my reading glasses on because this thing's so small. But if you turn to the Torah, to Horeth, here's what it says. In 7, 6, if tax gatherers entered a house, remember they memorized this, if tax gatherers gathered, entered in a house, all that is within it becomes unclean. Even if a Gentile was with them, they may be believed if they say, we did not enter, but they may not be believed if they say, I'm reading this correctly. <laughs> we entered, but we touched not. If thieves entered a house, only that part is unclean that was trodden by the feet of the thieves. What do they render unclean? Foodstuffs and liquids and open earthware vessels. But couches and seats and earthware vessels having a tightly stopped up cover remain clean. If a Gentile or a woman was with them, all becomes unclean. That, my friends, was just one little paragraph in over a thousand pages of ridiculous laws that man wrote. Jesus had a heyday breaking these laws right here. He made a sport out of this. Yet the Pharisees, this was their life. This meant everything. This protected them. Supposedly, I imagine if they were still around, they'd still be writing more laws. So now you've got the tax collectors who are filthy, and you can see what they thought about them, but they also included the sinners. You go back to last week, we looked at Luke chapter 14, verse 21. Jesus says, And if they don't come to the banquet, we're going to invite the lame, the blind, and the maimed. You know what? The Pharisees thought that the lame, the blind, and the maimed 
were sinners, and that was the reason that they were lame and blind and maimed because of their activities that they did. And Jesus says, I'll hang out with these people. I'll hang out with these people. But the Pharisee says, this guy is just unclean. He's hanging out with the lame, the blind, and the maimed, and the tax collectors. This isn't good for our image. He can't be the Messiah. And then he... (laughs) You realize how bad this is, right? This is like scandalous in their times. This is like us right now inviting one of today's publicly recognized sexual predators to dinner and posting it on Instagram. Right? It's just a bad social scene. And he says, so he told them this parable, a story they're not going to understand. What man among you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them? Does not leave the ninety-nine in the open field and go after the lost one until he finds it. Now, here's what you had to understand about a shepherd. A shepherd, they didn't want to be seen as irresponsible. If somebody hired you to take care of their flock, what was expected of the shepherd? To take care of the flock. Don't lose any of the sheep. In fact, if you lose one sheep, if you lose one sheep, then you are financially responsible. You go back to Deuteronomy and it would tell, it would actually tell stories about how, hey, look, I took care of your sheep and I don't owe you anything because I didn't lose any sheep. He's financially responsible. And it says when he has found it, He joyfully puts it on his shoulders. Like, somehow, out of a hundred sheep, one's got away. He leaves the 99. Obviously, they're going to be safe, the 99 together. But he goes and finds this one. And when he finds it, he takes it, just like a shepherd, throws it over his shoulders, holding on to both legs. And this dude is literally bouncing back to the rest of the flock. I found it. I'm not responsible financially because I'm, a, I'm assuming that, you know, a shepherd's probably not paid that much. Probably would have taken everything that they earned just to pay for that sheep that they lost. It says he puts it on his shoulders and coming home, he calls his friends and neighbors together saying to them, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. And then Jesus says, I tell you, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. Now, let me say this about these parables. If we take these parables, which I've seen done all my life, and we break them down verse by verse, and we come up with, an allegory for each verse, we end up taking these whole stories out of context and making them into something that Jesus, God, never intended them to be. But let's keep this parable as a whole and see the context 
of what Jesus intended here. Because literally, I, I could make a sermon out of him coming home with this sheep on its shoulders. We all could, right? But what Jesus is referring to here is not necessarily the salvation, although that's pretty cool. That's like one of... Do you, you realize what just happened this morning? I walked back during the singing time to the child care area, and one of the dads said, my son has something to tell you. And this six-year-old says, I woke up this morning, and I asked Jesus into my heart. People, there's nothing greater than that right there. That, I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. That's salvation. That, that's that, that sheep that we're talking about. But here's, here's what had to happen. The dad says, tell him why you asked Jesus into your heart. He said, because I don't want to be a sinner. Six-year-old, I don't want to be a sinner. In other words, this six-year-old repented of his sin. Like he literally changed his mind about what he wanted to be identified as. I don't want to be identified as a sinner. I want to be identified as a child of God. A six-year-old figured that thing out. And Jesus is like... He's, he's sitting here saying this last line right here. The sinner who repented as compared to the righteous. Now, wait a second. You're sitting there like going, I'm righteous. You're righteous, right? Why are you righteous? Because Jesus made you righteous. But at this point, Jesus hadn't gone to the cross. And so he's talking about the 99, the Pharisees saying, you guys think you're righteous and that you don't need repentance. And to me, the one that matters is this one who's repentant. You got 100 sheep, 99 aren't repentant. I care about the one who is repentant. The one who wants to change their mind about their behavior. The one who wants to change their mind about who they are and how they identify. That's the one I rejoice in. Yet, all the Pharisees sitting out there flew right over their heads, didn't get it. Thought it was about salvation. Yeah, I got salvation. He's like busting their chops. You think you're righteous based upon what you make, what you own, what you do, but you're so wrong. And then, <laughs> I, I said, uh, I was talking to Ed and Kim, and it's your brother. Mike. Mike sits over here every week. He's not here this week. I have it in my notes. I got his name right here. 
But when I sit there and think about the one, the one that the shepherd threw over his shoulders, I automatically thought about Mike because he's gone through some stuff in his life. And he's been coming here for the last six months or so, soaking all this up. Repentant spirit, we've gone to breakfast, we've talked. And I thought, I'm going to talk to Mike today. Well, Mike's not here today. He's hanging out with his daughter, who we prayed about restoring that relationship a few weeks ago. He hasn't missed a week. I'm going to talk to Mike today. No, you're not. Remember what we prayed about a few weeks ago? I'm working on that today. Okay. Rejoice in that. When we hurt together, we hurt together. When we have joy, we have joy together. Today, we have joy together. And then he says, verse 8, Or what woman who has ten silver coins? Now, I learned something this week as I was studying, because uh, instead, a Jewish girl in those days, instead of wearing a wedding band, wedding ring, they were given a headband, and it had ten silver coins a drachma, ten drachmas that were like actually on this headband, drachma being a day's wage, a denarii drachma. Had a headband with ten coins on it. And she wore that around to signify that she was married. And if she ever lost one of those coins, there were typically laws in here that gave the men the right to divorce their wives. If they burnt the dinner, they could divorce their wives. Seems right? (laughs) Do you want this? (laughs) Burn the dinner and you have reason to divorce your wife. Lose a coin off your headband And you have reason to divorce your wife, so now all of a sudden this brings context to why she's freaking out about a lost coin. It makes sense. It says, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. What woman would lose a coin and not go looking for it. Now in a Palestinian house back those days, they didn't have they didn't have light switches. They had to light a lamp, whatever, and she's going nuts trying to find this coin. Carefully until she finds it. When she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together saying, "Rejoice with me because I have found the silver coin I lost." I tell you, in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. Wait, I just heard that just a few verses ago. There's rejoicing over one sinner who repents, not those who think they are already righteous and actually aren't, but one who is repentant. And is trusting the Father. Once again, 
the point of this whole story is rejoicing over the one who repents. One who can't do this life in their own strength. Hello? God, I've tried. I can't do this. I need you to do this in my life. I've changed my mind. I need you. That, my friends, is repentance. And then we get to the big story. Verse 11, it says, He also said, A man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. Typically, uh, when Jewish men had sons, they would take whatever they had, they would give double to the oldest, and then everybody else would get the split. This one says, Dad, and this typically happens after the father dies. You know how it goes, right? This one son says, Dad, I just wish you were dead. It's basically what he said. I just give me what you, you have set aside for me, and I'm out of here. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to go do my own thing. I don't need you. Just give me what you owe me, and I'm out. Says so he distributed the assets to them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country. I want to get as far as away from my family as I can get. Where he squandered his estate in foolish living. <laughs> I don't think I need to describe what foolish living is. After he had spent everything, a severe famine struck that country. He had nothing. The stock market crashed. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed his pigs. I, I love that Jesus, in his story, used, used the word pigs here because pigs were just filed. They were the nasty animals. Remember, we talked about this being Hanukkah week. We're coming near the end of Hanukkah, but it was the celebration of the cleaning of the temple by the Maccabees in between the Old Testament and the New Testament where Antiochus Epiphanes came in and he actually sacrificed a pig on the altar at the temple. So Jesus uses the word swine here. Remember, Jesus used the swines when he cast the demons out of the man who had so many evil spirits and he put them into the pigs. So the pigs were filthy animals. He's like, this dude couldn't get any lower than have to work with pigs. He longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating. He's eating the pig slop. That's how bad it is. But no one would give him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, 
how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food? And here I am dying of hunger. He's sitting there going, you know, back home, uh, dad's servants have a lot better than I have it right now. Should I just go back and like maybe just say, okay, I'll work for my dad because it's better than eating this pig slop. He says, here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up, go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. So he got up and he went to his father. Now, all of a sudden the story just changed from what Jesus had taught just previously with the lost coin and the lost sheep. Whereas the father went to find the sheep and the lady went to find the lost coin, now the son is coming back to the father. It's a little different. He didn't go out and get his son. He waited for his son to come to him. The son returned to his father based upon his own choice because he he literally remembered his father's goodness. Of all the things that he experienced in the world, he went back to his father's goodness. I'm going back there. I didn't really know how good I had it. At this point, he's willing to say, Forgive me. I was wrong. This is true repentance. Now, we've had three stories here that have talked about repentance, and I'd say this about true repentance. It has to do with your will, which deals with your your, your mind, your emotions, and it even causes you it even causes you to respond. Like if you don't respond, does, does repentance actually happen? Think about that for a second. I don't know if it does because where does repentance come from in the first place? It doesn't come from you. It comes from God. Did you hear that? Did, did you hear that? God is the one that grants repentance. You don't believe me. Look at Acts chapter 11, verse 18. It says, When they heard this, they became silent, and they glorified God, saying, So then God has given repentance, resulting in life even to the Gentiles. Who gives repentance? God does. But then once he gives it to us, we literally have a free will choice to say, Yeah, I want that. I want to change my mind. I want that repentance. And that's what this young man did. He's like, I'm going back to my father. True repentance. Accepting repentance causes us to get up and go. It says, but while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and he was filled with compassion. He ran through his arms around his neck and kissed him. Father's thinking, 
He's thinking. That's a good move by the dad. You know why? Because watch this. In Deuteronomy, if you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 21, you've probably never seen this. Verse 18, it says, If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who does not obey his father or mother. Whoa, we're talking about the prodigal son here. Who does not obey his father or mother and doesn't listen to them even after they discipline him. His father and mother are to take hold of him and bring him to the elders of his city to the gate of his hometown. They will say to the elders of his city, The son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He doesn't obey us. He's a glutton and a drunkard. Then all of the men of the city will stone him to death. What? You must purge the evil from you, and Israel will hear and be afraid. The dad's sitting there thinking, I'm running to my son, because if the community sees him first, they're going to kill him. And if I embrace him and hug him, they're not going to stone him while I'm hugging him. Holy cow. That changes everything. The father loves the son so much. You're going to stone him, you're going to stone me too. I'm going to protect my son who acted in a state of rebelliousness but now has come here in repentance. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven, and in your sight I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his servants, Quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and his sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it. That one we've been saving. Bring her out. We're going to have a great meal tonight. And let's celebrate with a feast because the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He is lost and is found. So they begin to celebrate. So at this point in this parable, the scribes and the Pharisees felt absolutely confident that they had escaped the Lord's judgment. That he's talking about somebody totally different. He'd centered all his, all his attention on the sinners and the, the lowly people, the tax collectors, as he painted this picture of a prodigal son. But we, we see that Jesus continues the story right here. Oh, man. And he introduces the elder brother, who is a clear illustration of the Pharisees and scribes. He says, now his older son was in the field. And as he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he summoned one of the servants, questioning what these things meant. Your brother is here. He told him, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Then he became angry. And he didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. But he replied to his father, Look, I have been slaving my, many years for you. And I have never disobeyed your orders. 
I've never broken any of your laws. I've done everything that you've asked me to do. Yet, you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him? Are you serious? There's not too many authors that I relate to uh, nowadays, but Warren Wiersbe says this. He says, In my years of preaching and pastoral ministry, I have met elder brothers and sisters who have preferred nursing their anger to enjoying the fellowship of God and God's people. Because they will not forgive, they have alienated themselves from the church and even from their family. They are sure that everyone else is wrong and they alone are right. They can talk loudly about the sins of others, but they are blind to their own sins. <laughs> General Oglethorpe said to, to John Wesley, I never forgive. And John Wesley replied to him, Then, sir, I hope you never sin. <laughs> you see that whole forgiveness thing was all pointed towards the Pharisees. And the father said, Son, you're always, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and now he's alive again. He was lost and now he's found. whole point of that story right there the whole point you don't have to be wealthy to enter the kingdom of god the pharisees actually believed that salvation was based upon their works what they did and all the wealth that they accumulated the more i can get the more i can gather the better my possibility of salvation is and jesus is sitting there saying to these pharisees you know salvation it's not based upon any of that stuff that you think it is it's only based upon the father's mercy so what you thought is wrong he literally looks at his son and said look this fatted calf it's been in the pasture all the whole time and you've been here with me the whole time we could have killed this fatted calf anytime you wanted it's been here the whole time all you had to do is ask. Hello? All you had to do was ask. 
same man uh, that told that story right there came here on earth as a baby. Son of God chose with his father's plan to come here in this place in an earthly body limiting who he was yet not he verbally physically and miraculously gathered his sheep while he was here he did everything he could to gather his sheep he preached fiercely to these Pharisees just saying I want you to get this. I want you to know that I love you dearly. All you have to do is repent. And this baby who tried together was then crucified by these same people, was buried, he rose again, and now he sits by the Heavenly Father. And today... Christmas Christmas is not December 25th it's every stinking day of your life you mean I get to only celebrate Jesus birth one time a year (laughs) wake up every day celebrating the life of Christ and Rusty Kennedy And here's what I know. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, I close on this. I can't think of a better way to close out a Christmas than this. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, it says, And you were dead in your trespasses. That six-year-old was dead in his trespasses. in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. You realize there's an evil one that's working, right? He's still alive, still working, still throwing nasty thoughts our way. It says, We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. In other words, you were born dead, separated from God, and you had a sinful nature, and you were sinful. No one taught you how to be sinful. It was just your nature to be sinful. It says, but God. <laughs> That's a big two words right there. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in trespasses. You were saved by grace. Not by anything that you did, not by anything that you collected, not by anything that you said. 
not by anything that you prayed, simply because you believed and God's grace saved you. He also raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in heavens in Christ. Just, just as Christ was risen from the dead, set by God, it says right here, Paul says, I'm hanging out there right now. I get it. I'm walking here on this earth. I'm standing here in front of you. But spiritually, I'm seated with Jesus at the right hand of God right now. That ought to blow your mind. So that in the coming ages, he might also display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Get this straight. Terry, I'm telling you right now, you are created for good works. That doesn't mean go work your tail off. That means you are created for God and good works are going to happen through you. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. That's the best Christmas that you could ever have is just sit there and enjoy what you've been given. Enjoy this life in Christ. Father God, thank you for uh, saving this child this morning. (laughs) Thank you for uh, coming as a child. Thank you for living among us, not only then, but right now. Father, thanks for being in this room. Thanks for your presence wherever we go. Father, thanks for Christmas every day. Father, may we truly, truly understand what it means to be repentant even this day. That we can pursue you can love you we can know you and that we can rest in you these holidays i pray these things in jesus name